0: of a five-week core value series as we walk through what the church is and as I've said each week and I'll continue to say through the end of this that we as a church don't get to make up our core values like Apple does or like Google does. We actually have to find those core values from the scripture and we believe that the scripture does give us things that should be obvious in the lives of both believers and in the lives of the churches that believers belong to. And for us, we have chosen to verbalize those in a way that is easy for us to remember, at least I hope it's easier for us to remember, uh, that, that we would look at the name Grace, the name of our church, that's the name, it's on. there's a big G on the sign when you pull into the parking lot through the pothole, and w- you'll see... Listen, folks, if you'll just drive in by Taco Bell, it's super smooth over there. All right? Okay. Better. You can get a chalupa on the way. (laughs) Generosity. That we would be a generous people because God has been generous toward us. Relationship. We believe that we are called into relationship with God and with one another. Authenticity—that we do not believe that that generosity and that relationship exist for generosity and relationship sake, but we believe that as we move towards those two things, it will cause us to be authentic, genuine in front of each other. Confidence in the gospel, which we'll look at today, and excellence, which we'll look at next week. So today we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, and we're looking at what it means for you and what it means for me to be confident in the gospel of Jesus and to be confident in what it does. So if you're there in the passage, I want you to look along as I read aloud. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I remember being in seminary classes when they would talk about the gospel. It's a really popular word. We, because... We as Americans try to take everything and make it marketable. We have taken the word gospel and we've made it an adjective. If you go to Lifeway, you can buy lots of things that are gospel versions of this. You can get Gospel Project, which is a great Curriculum that we as a church use for our children, and for our students. You can look into Lifeway as well, and you can get other items that are labeled with the gospel. You can buy gospel mints. They're actually called testaments, and I'm still working through what that even means, but they're there. And I'm forced to ask the question well, when we talk about the gospel, are we not just talking about Jesus? Why are we not saying that we are confident in Jesus? And the reason for that is Jesus is a term that everyone likes and no one really wants to run to and trust. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus, it is connected to the power of Jesus in the actions of Jesus to display that power. I was working. My first stint in Texas was from 2000 to uh, December of 2003 because it took me three and a half years to complete a three-year degree. I'm one of those people. And when I was in seminary, I had an after-school care job where I would go to a local elementary school and I would work with with kids. I would help them with their homework. I would try to usher them to the playground. And the two number one troubled children in my life were uh, a little boy named Jesus and a little boy named Travis. They were best buddies Jesus looked like Fred Flintstone a small version of him and Travis had this smooth rat tail and the two of them caused lots of complications on our playground the two of them really invoked lots of fist fights. the two of them were atrocious little children if we're just being completely honest like blatantly atrocious we're all atrocious people that's what the Bible teaches but these kids you're like yeah they're atrocious we should outsource them to their parents. So they should homeschool. So we <laughs> so I've got these two boys. There is a day where I show up at school and I have on a t-shirt from a Disciple Now or a retreat that I just finished. And when I get there, they see that the term Jesus, the name Jesus is on my shirt and they immediately want to have a conversation about it. Jesus looks at me and he says, Hey, Mr. Chad, why does your shirt have my name on it? To which Travis replies, Do you have a shirt with my name on it too? I said, Jesus, it's spelled the exact same. But you and Travis don't act anything like this guy. (laughs) Lots of people use the name Jesus, and it's very convenient to use. There are lots of churches that would say that they worship Jesus, but in effect, do not worship Jesus because... The work of Jesus that declares that he is Jesus is unique to Christianity. We use the term gospel interchangeably, not simply with the name of Jesus, but with Jesus and his work to show who Jesus really is. If your faith is not tied to a crucified and resurrected Jesus, then that Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible, and that Jesus does not save. So when we talk about a confidence in the gospel, we're moving beyond some ethereal concept of a God who just looks a whole lot like us but happens to wear sandals to a God whose blood was splattered on a cross in our place and who overcame death and hell so that we could have that same victory. So when we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the active work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith... faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So four things. If you're taking notes today, these are great things to write down. If you're not taking notes, we have a podcast. Feel free to listen. These four things are this. Number one, we are confident that the gospel saves. Number two, we are confident that the gospel saturates our lives. We are confident that the gospel shapes us. And we are confident that the gospel sins. If you were to attend our Discovering Grace class, you'll hear these words. We'll talk about confidence in the gospel. We root that in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 where it says this. Where we can find that we proclaim the truth of the gospel to dead people with this confidence. That God will raise them to life because Jesus began the work of salvation in us. And he will see it through to completion. Jesus will. We'll see your salvation through. We believe that. If we do not believe that, then please go home. If we are people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and that is something that we do not believe, then there are are numerous shows that you can watch today to prepare you for the game tonight. For those of us who are believers, that is something that we have to trust in confidence. Now, if you're not a believer, here's what I believe God is doing in your heart and in your life right now. He is wooing you and he is persuading you and he is drawing you to himself over and over and over again. Because I've got some of you that keep showing up that may or may not be Christians. Now, I know that's a weird thing to say in the South where everybody's a Christian. But there are some of us who are far from God and don't have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And here's what I love. You keep coming. You're bringing friends with you sometimes. And I believe that the gospel of Jesus is at work in your heart. That God is doing a work in you. We are confident the gospel saves. That the work of Jesus on the cross does a saving thing for us. Because, and we see that in this phrase. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God. Please notice what it does not say because we like to shortchange this verse and shortchange much of the power of the gospel. It does not merely say that the gospel brings power, though we believe that the gospel brings power. It does not simply say that the gospel has power, though I truly believe the gospel has power. It tells us that the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is power. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And our hope for salvation is that God would do an active work and it's not something that we have to reach out to. As a matter of fact, he's reached out to us. That's the gospel. God... The work of God is that he is actively working in this world and sowing order and light into chaos and darkness. And he is not backing away. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. So we trust that. We believe that. We hold on to that. And our confidence does not slack or slight because it seems that our world is chaotic and crazy. Because our Lord has sent us. The passage is the phrase that Romans hangs on, this idea of the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everything that Romans says comes from that. It is the umbrella under which the rest of Romans falls. It is the thesis statement. We can read other verses that you know, that you've memorized in Romans with this verse in mind because they all have this verse in mind. We read Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but Jesus is the power of the work of God to bring us to him. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death but the work of Jesus is the power of God in salvation that gives eternal life. Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but because we believe this to be the backdrop for all of Romans. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the gospel means that Jesus is working as the power of God. The power of the gospel does this. We are confident that the power of the gospel that the gospel saves us because it brings dead people to life. Do we have examples of that through the scriptures? As a matter of fact we do. Let me unveil a couple of for you. Jesus goes to a funeral where there is a man who is dead and the, his, the sister of the man says to Jesus if you had been here he would be alive and Jesus replies lady I am the resurrection and the life he calls Lazarus out of a grave The power of the gospel makes blind people to see. We see that in John as well. We also see that in Acts chapter 9 where Paul is spiritually blind. God literally strikes him blind only to give him sight. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. All that is required to know salvation... Is belief in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Romans says this later confess your mouth. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead. We are confident that God will call dead people to life, sinners to saints. He will transition us from blindness to sight. Because God is capable. If we believe that God's power has been muted at, in any way, at any point, then our reason for gathering is really, really silly. But we are confident that our God is powerful over sin and death. We are also confident that the gospel saturates us. That's a word you've probably not used in church. You probably use it to talk about fats. us. We are confident that the gospel saturates us in grace through faith. See what happens here when Paul continues in this phrasing. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Every human heart will struggle with faith. Because it's continually admitting that we need something more. We will always struggle to believe and trust... Because everything in this life from that dark chaos that we talked about tells us that we are not enough. One pastor says that the gods that we create are formidable. But the God who is actually there has scars because he came to us. By grace, you're saved through faith is what Paul says in another text. At the foundation of all of our sin is a lack of trust in the gospel that leads us to reject it. We see it with the Jewish people in John chapter 1. We see it with them and that he came to his own. Jesus came to the Jewish people and they did not receive him. We see it with the Gentiles. Actually, Paul was preaching in Athens and they called him a babbler. That word literally means, they called him a woodpecker. He's just peck, 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 peck. And it's driving us crazy. We see this with us. We see this with the way that we even evaluate sin because, let's just be honest, we tear sin out. There's the obviously wicked, and we would all acknowledge what the obviously wicked things of this world are. Nick Saban. (laughs) Tom Brady. The guy who removed the ear jack from the iPhone. Those are evil people. and these obviously wicked people my android people are like what are you talking about (laughs) we'll work through it obviously wicked people shun the gospel because deep down they believe that they are so sinful that there is no way that Jesus would ever save them we don't believe that Jesus could ever love us enough to move us from our obvious wickedness to obvious righteousness And those people probably aren't here this morning. Because not just this church, but churches as a whole have not really manifested that we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There are places we don't go and people we don't talk to and things that we don't spend our time doing because they are so far gone. They are the people that we avoid at work because of the language that they use or the things that they talk about. They are the people that when we do interact with them in our workspaces, that it's always an argument and it's never uplifting. They are the people who we choose tension as opposed to seeing them with God's grace and viewing them that way. The obviously wicked. But the deceptively wicked shun God as well. Those are those of us who would deem ourselves moral. We're good people. We gather together in good spaces. We are so good, 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 good. we from the gospel because we don't believe that our actions are bad enough to warrant the need for a savior. If you don't realize you need Jesus, you are as wicked as anyone else. We're all the same amount of wicked, but you are far from God. If our morality has dubbed us in our own hearts and minds, okay, that is not Christianity, that is therapeutic deism and it is unhelpful because it does not save. And as a matter of fact, it curses the church. It penetrates, it permeates who we are and what we do and why we do it. So we've got the obviously wicked, we've got the deceptively wicked and then we've got Christians. I don't reject the gospel, I love the gospel. I like to sing gospel songs. But our lives portray that we don't believe the gospel when we are angry and bitter. It's because we are not thinking through this that, of how, angry, how much anger we deserve from a God who shows us nothing but grace. All of these things miss that being right with God is received through faith, and only received through faith. John Stott says this. He's a pastor, or he was. God's faithfulness comes first, and ours is never thing, anything other than a response. God has been so faithful to us that his faithfulness calls us from death to life. Those who get that they are saturated in this gospel, grace-centered faith... When you see that, we move to the place where we can truly believe that the gospel shapes us. And we as followers of Jesus are confident that the gospel will shape us. In this room right now, I'm looking at faces that I know and I'm looking at people who've journeyed a long way with Jesus just from the stories I've heard over 21 months. The gospel has shaped us. When we baptized Angela just a few weeks ago, she shared of how the gospel of Jesus had shaped her. When you sit around in circles in your life group, because I keep pushing you to sit in circles at life group and not watch videos because I don't know what that helps. We're hearing stories of how the gospel is continually shaping us. When we work through and walk through our struggles together, we're saying, this is hard, and this is difficult, but the gospel's not, stop shaping me. God is shaping me as someone who belongs to him. We believe that. We believe that we can be confident that, God, that the gospel shapes us because the scriptures are confident that it will. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. We are confident that the word of God does not come back empty. So when it is preached, it, it speaks two things it speaks that there is hope and it speaks that outside of hope it's not a matter of nothingness it's a matter of condemnation and the gospel speaks those things we trust that the gospel speaks that he has, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it so I don't know what you're sitting in right now what you're stewing in what you're struggling with what you're walking through but if you belong to Jesus he who started that work in you is going to bring it to completion We can trust that. We can believe that. We can hold fast to that. And if you do not trust, believe, and hold fast to that, then let's sit down and work through how you can. Because God is faithful. It doesn't mean it's going to happen quickly. We love instant gratification. For Christmas, you buy your kids things that are instantly instantly satisfying. They open a package and there's a, a PlayStation 4 game. They pop it in the machine. They begin to play it. Wow, this game is great. You open a box of chocolates. You instantly open that so you can play that chocolate. Wow, this is fantastic. We open things over and over and over. I want to use this. I want to put my drone in the backyard to take pictures of my neighbors because they're kind of creepy. Two of the kids in our life group, one of them mine, got rock tumblers for Christmas. That is not instantly gratifying. (laughs) It's called a rock tumbler. I said, huh? What's What's a rock tumbler do? So I found out. In a world where we like instant oil changes and gifts that immediately gratify us and make us happy, My child received this thing that he plugs into a wall. He then pours rocks and some other stuff into it. And it tumbles for five weeks. How satisfying of a Christmas present is that if you're not a geologist? How's your rock tumbler doing? Don't know, can't open it. But that's exactly what God's doing with you. Everything chiseling and cutting. Everything working in you to make you more like what you're supposed to be. When he appears, is what John says, just so you, I'm not just throwing Paul out every, every day. When he appears, we don't know what we will look like but we will be like him. The gospel shapes us. The big Bible word that i am not thrown around it is the word sanctify. Jesus makes you more like him. The gospel saves is justification. The gospel, sanctify, it's, it, the gospel shapes is sanctification. You are made more and more like Jesus. So you have to look at you and I have to look at me and I've got to ask sometimes how much more like Jesus am I than I was two weeks ago? Three months ago? Am I seeing progression in this? Am I seeing a desire to know God more because He's chosen to know me? We are confident that the gospel shapes. We confidently live and worship knowing this because we are confident the gospel shapes. We confidently live and worship knowing that the gospel sends us. It does. A gospel that does not send is a half-hearted gospel, which is no gospel at all. We're sent people. God has sent every one of us to where we are, why we are, when we are, to who we interact with for the sake of his great name. Chad, you don't know the morons I work with. I don't, but God does. You don't know the things that they say. He was broken for them. You don't know the things that they do. His blood was shed, and it is their only hope. There is an urgency to gospel sending. We get this from the phrase that he opens with I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is ashamed? What's the opposite of being ashamed? I I think, one pastor points this out, and I love, the opposite of being ashamed of the gospel is not that you would be willing. The opposite of ashamed is that you would be eager. That there is a desire in you as someone who belongs to Jesus to show the goodness of Jesus that has impacted and affected you so how's that play out here because this is here, it's where we get together every Sunday it's where we worship together as a faith family we want to live as people who have been saved by the gospel because we are saturated and shaped people we are saturated in grace, immersed in it, we are shaped by God it affects the way we do everything. It affects the way we plan a Sunday morning. It, 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 there are questions that people ask sometimes. because If you come from certain traditions, you may say, well, I was in this church, and in this church we did a liturgy, and you guys don't seem to do a liturgy. We do a liturgy. When you walk through the order of songs that Jared does, it tells the story, and the story that those songs tell is the story of the gospel of Jesus. It unfolds, it unveils, it reveals itself over and over and over. Boldly I approach your throne. Why? Because we can't approach the throne if not for the work of Jesus. Christ is the cornerstone for our faith. This is the telling the story of the gospel of Jesus. It affects the way that, that I preach sermons, I hope. It affects the way that I, I plan. I had a question from a, from a new friend the other day. Do, do you consider your church seeker sensitive? And I thought, do, what, I don't know what that means. I think I'm supposed to. Because they talked about that a lot in seminary, being seeker-sensitive. Then I started to think about the songs that we sing, and they're pretty heavy doctrine. There's lots of teaching there. So I wouldn't say that we're seeker-sensitive, but I do believe that God gathers us together as believers to hear his word. We but it's not just for believers in this room either though it does if we look into scriptures and open scripture for what it is and teach it for what it is and sing to God for who he is then we believe that 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 God can do the dual work of working in the hearts and lives of the unbelieving simultaneously shaping his people so we plan songs and we preach sermons that are able to hopefully and look I'm not always good at this you're probably thinking, you're rarely good at this, but that speak to every person in the room because we believe that God is always stirring in our midst, stirring us to know Him, stirring us to love Him, helping us to see that our faith, though it is full of information, it is not information only, but it's the transformative work of God. God moving in us because we believe that singing the gospel and preaching the gospel, it works twofold. It calls dead people to life and it sends living people into a world that is dead. Look, I've been here for 21 months and I don't know that I can love you people any more than I do. I I care for you. We We pray for you. We believe that God is doing I, I believe as sure as I'm standing here behind some thing that Jared built for me. That God is moving in us. That God is stirring us as his people to live for the sake of his name. That God is using all that he's taught and all the goodness that's present when, when I interact with any of you. All the joy that's there. All the trust that you have in the word of God. And he is preparing us for a work here that would see his name made famous to the ends of the earth because our end goal is not Lake Jackson. It sure isn't 1027 Dixie Drive. Our goal is see Jesus made known, Jesus made famous. Be part of that. We're confident in that. We believe that the gospel can do that. Because it's not about what we plan. It's not about what we sing. It's about God working in our midst and us strategically as best we can trying to come alongside of his work. And you'll watch us fail and you'll watch us stumble and you'll watch us fall. But we're going to always push towards that. So push with us. Be confident in the gospel and how God has presented that confidence to us as a church. Trust that the Lord is moving. His death and his resurrection should be reflected in us dying to ourselves every day. So let's be a sent people because the gospel sends us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that he's your only hope. We say that over and over because it's over and over true. You and I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. For those of you who are not believers, you need him to move you from death to life. The Bible could not be more blunt about your spiritual condition. For those of you who are believers, you need to not forget that you daily need Jesus. When we remember that, he sends us. We remember that he's shaping us, that he's not done with us. that He's immersed us in his grace. So if you're here, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus... I'll be in the back corner of the room and maybe before you come chat with me you have this conversation with the Lord. Jesus, I am sinful and I need you to save me. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's the only one who can save. And that God rose him from the dead. He'll save you. And that's you and you said a prayer to that effect. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does. But if you want to talk to me about that, I'm in the back corner on my left-hand side. If you're believers in this room and you have a lack of confidence in the gospel before you stand and begin to sing because that's what you expect people to do at this point of a worship service, beg God to give you consistent reminders. Because our God is ever good and always doing good things.